You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. Merry Christmas. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, or maybe if you, or you have, if you've been around Calvary for a while, I wasn't the best student uh, growing up, and I, I did great in college, just so you know, but uh, first through 12th grade was a little shaky for me. And uh, one, one of the reasons is uh, my parents did not understand the concept of homework. And I, let me say this, I'm not blaming my parents because I know that that's kind of what people do now. Um, I, I, I grew up, if you remember this, I grew up in an age, this is how long ago it was, when if you were, like as a kid, you were kind of a screw up, it was your fault. But see, then I grew up and I became a parent and then it's like if the kid has problems, it's the parent's fault. So it's been my fault my entire life. So anyway, think about that. So anyway, but, but I will say this, my parents had no understanding of homework. They thought homework was something I was making up because I didn't want to work. And um, so a couple days a week, uh, most of the time I, I took the bus home from school, but then uh, a couple days a week my mom would pick me up from school and we would drive to downtown Boston where my stepdad had this cold storage facility that he ran, and so I would work a couple days a week and then on weekends there too. And I would, when I would say like, hey, I can't go, I have homework, they would say to me, they would like, look, you go to school all day. And if you're not smart enough to do all of your schoolwork at school, that's your problem. Now it's time to work. And so I would spend most of my afternoons and evenings and weekends operating like forklifts and pallet jacks. I know you're thinking like a 12-year-old. <laughs> By the way, I was 10. Um, operating a pallet jack and a forklift, um, being told that students in Cuba finished their work at school because not only was everything better in Cuba, even the students were better in Cuba. And, uh, and I remember seeing like, wow, Cuba's such a paradise. Why did you leave again? Um, and uh, you only say that once. And, and I remember saying it one time. And when I regained consciousness, I was like, I'm never saying that again. And uh, so now I tell you all of that to tell you about what happened. Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, we had a pop quiz in our science class I did great on the test, by the way. I only got three questions wrong. And uh, the problem is, this kid next, who sat next to me, whose name was JP, JP, um, he also got three questions wrong. Which, once again, is not that big of a deal, except we got the same three questions wrong. And we put the same answer on the, on the questions that we got wrong. And so we get called up to the desk my teacher, my eighth grade teacher, whose name was Mrs. Shadley, Mrs. Shadley calls us up and she says, Robert, did you copy off of JP's paper? Which, by the way, I should have found that offensive that she assumed that I was the cheater. But anyway, I was. So I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. Um, she's like, did you copy off JP's paper? No, ma'am. And she's like, well, that's weird because you got the same three questions wrong. I'm like, well, that is, that is strange. And she's like, you, you guys answered the same thing. And I'm like, well, that is even stranger. And she wrote on, on question number 20, he wrote, I don't know. And you wrote me neither. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so she made me retake the test. <laughs> that part was a joke. Uh, she made me retake the test. 
And, uh, and the second time, I got three wrong again because by the time we had done this whole thing, I had memorized most of the answers. And then, uh, but she, so she ended up giving me a total of six wrong or 70%, which I was thrilled about. I was going to get a zero before and I ended up with a C minus. So once again, I consider the whole thing a moral victory. Um, so now I tell you this, I tell you this because there, this is uh, what the Bible is going to do today in our, in our time together is really is, is test us. It's going to challenge us a bit uh, because it's going to show us and talk to us about how faith is needed most in times of testing. Because faith, listen, faith is not really needed when you're doing nothing, right? If you're not stepping out or, you know, you don't really need a whole lot of faith. Like no one woke up this morning and boldly in faith ate breakfast. I mean, I guess depending on who made breakfast, that could be a a potential, uh, you know, outlier. But for the most part, uh, there's no need, you know, but once again, action necessitates the need for faith. Why? Because, and we talked about this, if you were with us last time, that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. So faith is not primarily an emotion. It's not simply talking about faith. That faith at its core is trust. And the reality is, is that your life is going to be defined by the level at which you believe that God is telling the truth. And so if you're just joining us or you've been sporadic or you're, you've been here every week, you know that we've been studying uh, since about September. Uh, we've been studying the book of Hebrews here at Calvary, which is probably the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. It was written to a group of Jewish Christians who are going through a difficult time, and they're asking this question, and the question is so pertinent to us. They're asking the question, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And the answer to that question is this very eloquent and theologically dense letter that serves as an encouragement to do the one thing that's going to help when you're going through a season of difficulty, which is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And what the writer does, and he goes through, I mean, from the beginning of the book up through now, he, he takes the, the reader on a journey of how Jesus is better than anything else that we would want to put our trust in. And over the course of 10 chapters, the uh, writer outlines that for us. But for these believers that were reading this letter, they're asking this question. They're saying, how can I live my life in the face of an uncertain, with an uncertain future? And I mean, has there been a more poignant question for us living in 2020? And that is, how can I live my life in the face of an uncertain future? And so what the writer does is that he starts looking at Israel's history, But not just kind of the basics of Israel's history. He starts working through Israel's history through the lens of these people that walked by faith and lived by faith. Some of them going through incredible opposition and difficulty in uh, personally or in their outer circumstance. And so today, once again, we're going to look at, we're going to focus on one couple. One couple, their son, his son's kids, and even up to the, the great-grandkids, and show us how they model faith. And listen, if there is one thing that you and I need, no matter what stage of life or circumstance we find ourselves in, it is a bold faith that is going to step out and trust because we believe that when God speaks, he's telling the truth. And so we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open. If you have your notes, you can grab those. You can look on the screen. You can the Calvary app. As long as your eyes aren't closed, you're going to see the text. So we're going to start in verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And if you pause there and give me your attention, the first thing I want to tell you about faith, and we're going to look at three things in particular, but the first is that faith tests my need for the whole plan. Right? It's, it's, if I know everything that's going to happen, there's really not that much of a need for faith. But here's what I love about Abraham, and that is that he left his country, his family, his old life, without knowing exactly where it is that he was going. I mean, I want you to think about that. When was the last time that you went out, you guys got in the car, and you said, all right, we're going to go out, and we're going to lunch. But where are we going? I have no idea. If you're married, then you understand this perfectly, right? You get in the car, oh, we're going to go to lunch. Great, where do you want to go? And your wife says, like, I don't care. You don't care, but do you want, I don't, I don't care. Just go wherever you want to go. Okay, well, I'm going to, what do you think about the steak place? Like, oh, I'm not really in the mood for that. Oh, okay, all right. So, all right, well, then how about like the Italian place? Man goes, ah, I'm not really in the mood for that. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And, but we could, how about like the burger place? Oh, yeah, I'm not. What, what do you think about the Mexican place? Well, yeah, that's your choice. That's fine. And uh, right, that, that's, how, that's how that works. But listen, right, be, but the thing is that nobody goes out, not, no, you won't even go out to lunch without having a plan. This guy uprooted his entire life without having a plan. And listen, and the thing, and by the way, I think sometimes we look at that and it's like, this guy just left everything? Is that just like, is faith just, you know, another word for irresponsibility? No, it's not him being irresponsible. It's that he was, faith, as we have said, is acting, believing, trusting that God is telling the truth. And when he tells me to do something, I respond with obedience, even if I don't know every step of the plan. God gave Abraham step one, knowing that there was going to be a whole bunch of other steps. And God, most of the time, does not give us more than step one. He gives us step one and sees if we will respond with obedience. And we don't get step two until we have uh, done step one. And now, I'll give you an example of that. A few years ago, this is probably going back about uh, seven, eight years, my kids started taking swimming lessons. And, uh, and the reason every, I don't know why every child takes swimming lessons. And uh, this is the reason, like, you, you know, your parents, you know, they're like, you got to tell your, you got to get your kids in swimming lessons. Okay, yeah, what if they fall into a canal? Like every single parent has this thing. Like what happens if they fall into a canal? I don't know anyone who has ever fallen into a canal. And by the way, a person who falls into a canal doesn't need swimming lessons. They need to learn how to walk. Um, and so like you need to work on your balance, dude. Like stay on the sidewalk. Anyway, so, but we, we, because I don't want to have that conversation, so I just put my kids in swimming classes. Now, you got to understand, Mia, at the time, Mia was about five, Xander's about three, and Mia is moving through the ranks very quickly. And the way it worked in the swim class, and I might be a little off, but you started out, the white was like the infant's class, and then yellow was, um, you know, kids like three and up, and then you had to do certain things to go to red, and then from red was green, from green to blue, and then from blue to black. Black team were like people... They were like the same level as like dolphins, you know, as far as swimming ability, all right? So my daughter Mia is going through the ranks very quickly. My son Xander is still stuck on yellow team because he's having a problem. Now, let me tell you the the problem because when you are in, in yellow team, here's what you have to do to go to red team. You have to be able to jump into the pool and then um, come to the top, turn over and put your arms out and float 
for 20 seconds. That's what you have to do. So my son, he's able to um, come up in the water, turn over, put his arms out, and float for 20 seconds. He's able to do all of it, except he can't jump into the pool. And that's like the first part. And so, but he's like, well, but I, look, I can go down the little stairs, and then I'll just do that. Like, no, you got to jump into the pool. Once again, what happens if you fall into a canal? It's that whole thing, right? You don't, you don't go down the ladder into the canal. You just fall into the canal. And so, anyway, so he is so frustrated because then some of his friends had moved up to red, and he was still stuck because he just couldn't jump into the pool. And so, anyway, he decides, and, and, and then Mia got promoted again. So she's now, uh, and there's nothing to motivate children like sibling rivalry. I, you know, uh, it's, it is, it's a powerful tool. You can't use it all the time, but it is a powerful tool in the toolbox of any parent. You know your sister can do this. Like, let's do it! Anyway, so just, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, so be careful. And uh, Ben, it's not in the Bible, but Ben Parker taught us that. Uh, Uncle Ben taught us many important things. Plus taught us how to make rice. Um, Anyway, I'm getting, it's getting away from me here. All right. Uh, <laughs> so what happens is, is that Xander now, he wakes up one day, and he is, he's like, this is the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to red team. And uh, so he decides. Now, we have a pool, but we close the pool a couple months out of the year when it gets really cold. So usually it's from January 1 to March 1st is when that's when I close the pool. And um, so he decides that day. He's like, I know we have class that night. I'm going to pass, and I'm going to go to red team. And so now this whole week leading up to it, he had decided that that was the case. And so that week, every day at uh, dinner, he wanted to pray. And because he wanted to talk to God about this whole swimming business. And he's like, all right, God, thanks for the food. Anyway, uh, swim class, I need to go to red team. I need you to help me out. Uh, At night when we pray for him, he's like, all right, Dad, uh, pray for red team. I'm like, God, I hope Xander sleeps and that the whole red team thing works out. And, uh, and so anyway, this was like a serious thing. So the day of the class, uh, now we homeschool our kids because my wife has an Amish background. Um, she doesn't. But like, I mean, people are like, oh, that's good. Didn't know that. Anyway, uh, I just say that. I guess that everybody homeschools now, but uh, we did it before it was cool. And uh, so anyway, so we... <laughs> None of this happened at 10 o'clock, by the way. Just telling you. Everything was smooth. Everything was smooth. And then you guys get me all rowdy. And uh, it could be the four shots of espresso I had. I'm not sure. And so, because I'm, I'm a little twitchy. And uh, so, so anyway, I leave for church, right? I'm leaving for the office. It's 8.30 in the morning. And my son, Xander, is already dressed for school. Now, I say dressed for school. He's not dressed for school. He has his swim trunks on his swimming shirt and his yellow cap. And, and I'm like, dude, the class isn't until 4.30 in the afternoon. He's like, I want to be ready. I have to practice. And I'm like, dude, that, the water is like 50 degrees. Uh, and he's like, no, don't worry about it. I got it covered. So I'm like, you know what? And this is just a really helpful tool as a dad. You're like, you know what? I got to go. This is your mom's problem. And then I leave. <laughs> and so guys, try it sometime. It really can't use it all the time, but it is a tool in your toolbox. You're going to leave here like, I learned so much today. Uh, this pastor's killing it. Uh, and, 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 you know, you can just let us know we're available for marriage counseling too. And because uh, you pull that too much, you're going to need it. Anyway, so 
My wife calls me in the middle of the day, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, Xander finished his school as fast as humanly possible, and now he has been, he took all of the pillows off of the couch. He's in the family room, and he is jumping off of the couch onto the pillows, rolling over, putting his arms out, (laughs) counting to 20, and then doing it again. He has done this probably 500 times since you left. And so anyway, he gets to class, right? It's right up the street here. He gets to class. And he's like, everyone. And by the way, there's like four classes going on. Like you're not trying, you're not supposed to interrupt. And he's like, I'm going to red team today. And he's like, I don't even know how he got this like deep voice. Anyway, so he announces it to the class and everybody else who's most of whom people don't care. Like, all right, whatever you need to do, bro. Uh, and so anyway, but he was ready. Anyway, this is what happens after class. Red team, he did it. And uh, anyway, it was great. It was great. And now here's the point. And by the way, you got to take that away because nobody's going to, like, so cute. He looks just like his dad. Uh, <laughs> he looks, you know, that kid is the spitting image of his mom. Uh, and, uh, but now... Here's what you know. There's more, you know there's more to, to swimming than jumping into a pool? But you don't get anything more until you jump in. That's step one. And that's the thing that we read about Abraham. It's like, look, he took step one, which is him saying, I want you to go and I'm going to show you some awesome stuff. In fact, this was the actual promise that God gave him in Genesis chapter 12. He says, when the Lord said to Abram, get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who cursed you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But you know, you never get to the, I'm going to make you a great nation until you decide to obey. At some point, you've got to jump into the water if you're going to experience this. And by the way, it took years for that promise to be fulfilled. In fact, Abraham never saw Israel become a great nation. That, it took 25 years for his son to be born. But here's the perspective that Abraham had, and it's what we see in verse 10, that he waited for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That means that Abraham did not have only an earthly perspective. Instead, he had a perspective that was eternal, that his obedience wasn't simply tied up in what God was doing right now. He wanted to be part of God's eternal plan. And if you're focused, listen, if we're walking with God and we're like, well, I want God, and our focus is only immediate results, and that's why you're obeying God. Can I just tell you, you are selling yourself short because God's plan is so much bigger than that. And I love this fact that Abraham's faith didn't just bless him. Abraham's faith blessed you, blessed me, blessed us, that everything that's happened has been a result because this man decided to take a step and jump in the water. And I want to tell you that it's so powerful. And isn't that the kind of life that you want to live? The kind of life that experiences then the blessing of God for the purpose of being a blessing to other people? You see, and I love that kind of life that isn't just a blessing for me, but I want to be the kind of life that's a blessing for others. And that, that comes from obeying God, not when I have the whole plan. I take steps, even if they don't make a ton of sense, but I know that God's leading me, and I look back, and I realize that it all was perfectly orchestrated and that he was doing something amazing. And he goes on, and once again, this is all connected to that in verse 11, where he says, By faith Sarah herself 
also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. If you pause there, second thing I want to show you, and that is that uh, faith tests the placement of my trust. And this is a powerful thing. Now let me explain something that gets very confused in Christian circles. And that is, what we get confused is where the power is when it comes to faith. By the way, the power when it comes to faith is never in me or in us individually. Uh, The power is not in the power of my faith. The power is always in what I put my faith in that is the object of my faith. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was unable to have children. And even though she was given the promise, she didn't always believe it to be true. In fact, in your notes, one of the things that you're going to see is in Genesis 17, when Abraham gets told that he's going to have a son, it says that Abraham laughs. It says Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man as a hundred years old? Abraham laughs, amazed at what God is going to do. Sarah responds differently. That there's this moment where God is speaking to Abraham and uh, he says, you're going to have a son. And Sarah just kind of laughs in a kind of scoffing way. And then God says, why did you laugh? She's like, well, I I didn't laugh. And he's like, no, you did. And here's the thing that I, you know what I find so charming about this whole story is that Abraham laughs with the promise and initially Sarah laughs at the promise. And when they finally have a son, you know what they name him? Isaac, which means laughter. It literally means hilarious. And I want you to notice, though, what Sarah did is that she, this is what, she became a person of faith because she counted the person who promised as faithful. This is at the root of living by faith. Living by faith, listen, is not talking a good game. It's not quoting Bible verses on social media. It's making decisions that are in line with God's will and God's word. And Sarah laughed out loud at the promise, but after some time, she started laughing with the promise, because God was about to do something amazing. You see, if we would stop laughing at the promise and start laughing with the promise, can I tell you this? You would be a lot happier. You'd have much greater joy. You'd be living with expectation of what God is going to do, because what happens is it's never going to happen if we don't trust him, because faith at its core is always believing that God is telling the truth. Now, can I ask this question? How many of you are parents? No, these are people to pray for. All right. Now, so a lot of you are parents. So let me ask this question. How many of you that are parents have ever argued with a child to take a bath? Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's like, that's a trigger moment right there. Uh, right? Like th- this is a, it's, a, it's such a treat, right? Where you're telling a child to take a bath and they're like, I don't want to. And then when you're like, no, you got to take a bath. And then they're like, no, I don't smell. As if a person has ever been able to detect that themselves, Right? And then, uh, but, but as a parent, you know that it's like, it's a lot, a lot more than just smelling good, right? That bathing is, you know, good hygiene makes you healthier. And most importantly, bathing calms kids down. Now, for those of you that are parents, and those of you that have ever argued with a child to get them to take a bath, how many of you have ever argued with that same child to get them out of the bath once you finally talk them into, like, what, in the, what kind of lunatics are we raising? Uh, that it's like... Hey, I want you, I don't want to get in. I don't want to get out. I don't want to. Is that all you know? Ablis Inglis. 
You know? And, and why? Because, and can I tell you this? We suffer from the same problem. You and I cannot grow to maturity and enjoy the blessing of God without faith. That is believing and acting like God is telling the truth. And I'm telling you, and here's why, here's why you want to trust God. Because when you obey God, even when you don't understand it, it leads to joy and blessing and the life you've always wanted. In Genesis chapter 23, uh, we, it tells us how old Sarah was when she died. She was 127 years old. Sarah's the only woman in the Bible who we're told how old she was when she died. Um, but she was 90 years old when Isaac was born. So she lived 37 years with the promise of God. She experienced the joy of the promise being fulfilled. 37 years. And, and what, what does that mean? Listen, let me tell you what that means. It means it's not too late. It means you don't have to rush things or force things or try to control everything because you're waiting. You can actually walk in faith and wait for God to fulfill the promise because you have a heavenly father who loves you. And if he said he's going to do it, faith is acting like that is actually true. And you're going to do it. Because if you and I are being honest, most of the poor choices that we have made in our lives have been because we lacked faith. We stopped believing that God was telling the truth. But the more that we live like he's telling the truth, the more our lives have been transformed and experiencing the blessing that he's been talking to us about all along. Well, it continues down the family tree in verse 17. And he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Pause there and give me your attention. Here's the third thing I want to tell you, and that is that faith tests my perspective of my circumstances. Four people here that are mentioned four different circumstances, all living in faith. Now, and it's four generations of the same family. So let's go through these one at a time in the couple minutes that we have left. The first, he talks about Abraham. What does Abraham see in faith? Abraham saw God's provision. In Genesis chapter 22, this is what it's being talked about here. God tells Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, People that are critic, critical of the Bible will say, like, how could you, why would God even say something like that? And would God ask you to do that now? Like, first of all, God wouldn't ask to do that now. Because if you notice, that happens like at the very beginning of the Bible. You get to the very end. God never asks that again. And the whole point of why God does it is to show what he's ultimately going to do. He's putting this picture in Jewish history so that when it actually does happen later on, people would, there would be a connection to what happened at this moment. But he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and offers him a sacrifice. And it says, and then early the next morning, Abraham starts out to go to this mountain that's called Moriah. Now, the thing that you've got to understand, if you grew up in church, the pictures that we have are of Abraham as this older guy, and then like his eight-year-old son, Isaac, going up to this. That's not how this whole thing happened. Isaac was probably in his late 20s, up to about 30 years old in this moment. Now... If you're going to bet on a guy who's 30 years old 
and his dad, who's running about 110 in an arm wrestling contest, who do you think is going to win that? Uh, like, my money's on the young guy. So it's not like Abraham was overpowering his son. No, it's that Isaac understood that God was going to do something. And that's why when he tells his son, he says, hey, we're going to go here and worship. So they're headed up the mountain, and I put this in your notes in uh, verse 7 and 8 of chapter 22 of Genesis. It says, and Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, uh, said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire, the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. Now, if you know the story, you know that God, uh, that, that Isaac willingly lays on the altar. And just before Abraham plunges the knife into his son, God stops Abraham. And a ram appears in the bushes uh, that is going to be the offering. Now, I want you to notice something. And this is an important thing. Um, and what happens is sometimes we just, we're reading it and we don't realize it. He says, Abraham tells his son, God will provide the lamb. And then a ram appears And we're like, oh, that's kind of the same thing. It's not the same thing. A ram isn't a lamb, even if they rhyme. Okay? And so so they offer it, and it's like, well, then what is he talking about that God is going to provide a lamb? It's not that offering that uh, was provided in place of Isaac. It's that God, years later, was going to do something. And people looked on, and they said, wow, God said he was going to provide a lamb, but a ram showed up, so there is a lamb that's coming. And in John chapter 1, uh, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking along the shore of the Jordan River, he says, Be, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by the way, three years after John spoke those words, Jesus went up that very same mountain and fulfilled the words of Abraham that God himself provided the Lamb. You see, Abraham's story is a picture to show us what the ultimate father would do when he paid the ultimate price, his son, so that you and I could experience forgiveness. And why does God do this? One, to show us a picture of how much God loves you and what he was willing to sacrifice for you and I. But the second thing is to show Abraham what God already knew about him, that Abraham was a man of great faith and that God would provide for him. He learned that that day. Second thing I want to tell you is Isaac. His son Isaac, uh, it says um, that by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac saw God's promises. Now the act of faith on the part of Isaac that we see is that he passed on his faith uh, in, in the promises of God to his two boys, Jacob and Esau. Now let me share something here that I think is extremely important. And that is, as a parent, your job is to instill your faith to your kids to model what it means to follow Jesus in your home. It isn't to give your kids all the stuff that you didn't have uh, when you were young so that you can live vicariously through them. It's to instill faith in your kids, in their lives. And I talk to parents who will tell me, well, I don't want to push faith on my kids, and I'll just let them decide whatever they want to do uh, when they're older. Now listen, that is an extremely foolish decision. And it tells me that you don't realize how important your faith is. Because if you're a Christian, your faith is the core of who you are. Your faith is your hope. Your faith and belief in Jesus is how you conduct yourself. And your faith is the framework by which you view the world. 
And if you don't think that's worth passing on, then I'd encourage you to develop a faith that's worth passing on. And that, listen, that faith, acting like God is telling the truth, Isaac's only mention here is a powerful one, that he spoke to his two boys concerning the promises of God and walking with him. Which then leads us to the next verse in verse 21, where it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on his staff. You see, Jacob saw God's preparation. Jacob is an older man. And once again, a lot of the book of Genesis is devoted to Jacob. And you can read from about verse chapters uh, 26 through 36 or or 35 are are, are committed to him and then parts of uh, Joseph's life. But um, Jacob as an older man blessing his grandchildren is what we see here. He's blessing the children of Joseph. This is a powerful moment because of something that happened in Jacob's life. The way it worked in that culture is if you were the older brother, you got everything. You got a double portion of the inheritance. You, got, you became the spiritual leader of the family. You got all of that. You were, you were the one who inherited double everyone else. And Jacob and Esau were twins. And Esau was older by just a few minutes. And so it was, it was such a problem for Jacob that he ended up swindling his brother out of the blessing and he tricked his dad. His dad was having problems seeing and he ended up blessing Jacob as opposed to, uh, as opposed to Esau. And they were as different as can be. You know, it says that Jacob was like, uh, had like a sm- smooth skin and that Esau uh, was, uh, he had red hair and he was really hairy. And that was the, um, in fact, that's what the word Esau means in Hebrew. It means red or hairy. And uh, archaeologists have discovered a picture of Esau recently, if you want to see what he looks like. This is a picture of Esau right here. Um, and um, he loves you. And if, and, you can, and if you tickle him, he'll tell you that. Um, now, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, now, here's the thing, is that, and there's a whole, it's a great story as to how he gets tricked, where they, um, they take an animal from their flock, and they, um, his, uh, Jacob's mom helps him in this, and they, they kind of tie these skins, like the skin of this animal. By the way, and that's how when, he, when, he, when uh, Isaac touches his son, he's like, okay, this, this, your voice sounds like Jacob, but I'm feeling your arms and you feel like Esau, which by the way was the hide uh, of the animal. How hairy was this man to where it's like they had like some kind of goat and he feels the goat hair and he's like, yeah, your hair, this is your brother. You're super hairy. You know, like First of all, like, dude, you got to go to some kind of waxing place. Take that care of that situation if you're that hairy. Anyway, so that's why I believe he looked just like Elmo. Anyway, but that's... Uh, but when, after he swindled the blessing out of his brother, Esau, uh, Jacob had to leave. Esau was so upset. I, I want you to imagine th- this. this is, I, I don't think I've ever been this upset in my life. But I think this is the only thing that calmed him down. Look at what it says. It says, And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, that is their mom. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. I want you to imagine with me that you are so mad, you're so furious, that the only thing that calms you down, I can't just 
guy. I can't believe it. It's like, okay, it's okay. Whew. I'm going to murder him. Okay. It's all good now. Like, that person needs medication. If the only thing that calms you down is homicide, you need to talk to somebody. And so, now, 25 years later, Jacob and Esau patch things up. Jacob has 12 sons, some daughters. Joseph was number 11, and that's what's being talked about here, is that son number 11 um, has two sons. And when he asks, and then Joseph asks his dad, Jacob, will you bless my boys? And so at the last moment, he switches his hand and gives the greater blessing to the younger one, whose name is Ephraim, not the older son, whose name is Manasseh. And in blessing both kids, by the way, he tells Joseph, he's giving Joseph a blessing as well, that he says, these two are going to be counted like mine. And so now when the children of Israel go into the land of promise, the tribe of uh, Joseph's family would have a double portion of the land when they would uh, receive it when they entered the land of Israel. But Jacob in faith, and this is, the, this is the thing that's being mentioned here, Jacob in faith was looking at the trouble in his past as preparation for his future when he could bless others. Listen, can I just tell you this? Every one of us has gone through difficulties. And don't let your past struggle or trial just be for you. Instead, there is something that you learned, there's wisdom that you gained, that you can now prepare, that not only prepare you for the future that God has for you, but it can also prepare and encourage others. And that's what a life of faith does, and that's what Jacob's life teaches us. Lastly, he talks about Joseph. He says, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph saw God's purpose. Joseph was second in command in Egypt when he spoke these words. He was second only to Pharaoh himself. But he knew the promises of God and that the heritage and blessing of the children of Israel was not in Egypt, but in the land of promise. And he gave this directive to the children of Egypt to make the children of Israel to make sure that Egypt never feels like home. That there is this other place that God has prepared for you. You see, in the the section that I skipped in Hebrews eleven, kind of wraps this whole thing up, and it says this in verse thirteen: These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced and, and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country in which they came out, they they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, let's talk about this and then we're done. Why, do you, why does our faith get tested at all? I mean, is it even necessary? I mean, why do I need any difficulty in my life? And in fact, in many ways, isn't the lack of problems in our lives one of the ways that we decide if God loves us or is blessing us or is okay with us? Sometimes we do that, but it's not true. Knowing that God loves you is that he sent his son into the world which is what we're celebrating at Christmas, and that he's never going to give up on you. The purpose of trials in your life is that it has this moment of testing your faith. 
and that it produces something. The half-brother of Jesus, James, said, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That is a faith that will endure. You see, when you're God's child, you inherit every good thing that he has for you. Because that's what inheritance is, isn't it? Inheritance is something that you receive by nature of relationship. I mean, think about the things that you've inherited, right? So my youngest daughter, Olivia, is like one of the funniest people I know. And I like to say that she inherited her sense of humor from me. And uh, my wife might think differently of that. Um, But maybe she got it from both of us. Who knows? It's probably from me. But anyway. Um, But here's the thing, right? I inherited my sense of humor from my dad. And, you know, I didn't have to take it by force. It's not like I grabbed my dad by the arm and pressed his funny bone until all the humor leaked out, right? That's not the way it works. It, instead, it comes by, by reason of relationship. And that when you're in relationship with God and walking with him, you inherit everything that you need to do what it is that he's called you to do. And that even if we suffer, and by the way, there is suffering in this life, it's never in vain because there's a reward simply because we're his children and we have an inheritance. Listen, in the ancient Hebrew culture, there was this thing that was called the patriarchal blessing. And that was the person who was the head of the family, usually dad, where a father would bless his sons and daughters and speak into their lives what he saw in them. Now listen, this wasn't a pep talk. It's not a pep talk. This was the person who was responsible for raising you, the person who knows you best, to pray over you and say, this is what I see in you. Throughout scripture, those blessings, if you, if you read the Bible, you'll see that the father gives a son or a daughter the blessing and that directs that child's life because what he spoke into, that, into their life is what they became. Listen, I think this is one of the reasons why people in a younger generation are so confused. Um, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people and they've, they've told me some variation of this is that it's hard to know what you can be when you can be anything. I mean, we live in a world where you could be, I mean, you could be almost anything, but the reality is, is that what you needed, what so many of us need is a father to look at us and pray over us and say, this is who you are. And it just begins to eliminate all the confusion that we experience. And one of the reasons why I I believe that so many people are so confused and find themselves just kind of wandering in life and trying to stumble into things is because they've never received that blessing that our Father should have given to us. Dads, can I tell you this? That blessing that you give to your kids is the greatest gift you'll ever give to them because we've been tasked with this responsibility the responsibility of helping direct them by watching what their talents and abilities are, watching that develop, and then speaking a word of blessing to lead them. Because telling them they can be anything, that sounds super encouraging, but it's super confusing. And the the reality is, it's not even true. Do you know that no matter how hard I try, and no matter how much I believe it, I will never be a ballerina? Like, you can do anything, Pastor Bob. No, I really can't. I can't. I'm never going to be uh, a, a, a ballerina. I'm never going to work on a trapeze, um, right? There's a whole bunch of things I'm, 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 I'm never going to do, and that's okay. 
But see, what we need is, and for our kids, here's what we need. In a world where you can do anything, for the, to be the person who knows them best and loves them most, to speak a prayer and a blessing over them, say, this is who I believe you to be. And to encourage that and to take that spark and fan it into a flame will change the whole trajectory of their lives. You see, parents did this. They, they would bring their kids to Jesus. That Jesus would give their kids a blessing. In fact, we see a moment in this in, John, in uh, Mark chapter 10. You'll see it on the screen. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he would touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. What is he doing? He's giving them the blessing. And see, maybe you grew up kind of like me. I grew up in a, a broken home without both of my parents, and so did my wife, and we never had anyone to give us that, that blessing. And what do you do? Or maybe you grew up in a home and your dad wasn't a Christian, and you, know, you, you guys came to know Jesus later in life. I mean, what do you do? What do you do if your dad never gave you the blessing that you needed to direct you. And listen, those who didn't have a dad to give them the blessing, let me just tell you, you have a heavenly father who will give you the blessing that your father never gave you. And God will speak the words of life to you and lead you to become more than you are so you can become everything he's created you to be. Because God's vision for your future, can I tell you, it's bright. God's vision for your future is of hope and blessing. It's a vision of life. It's a vision of growth. It's a vision where he is speaking into your life and leading and working in you so that later he can work through you. It's so you can become more than you are and become everything he's created you to be. Because here's the good news. Christmas reveals it to us that God is for you. God didn't just watch what was happening on earth. Instead, he and on Christmas, he entered the fray. And he's inviting you to become part of his family so that you can experience his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his blessing, and an eternity with him. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for that promise that we can become more than we are because of your love for us. And I pray for those of us who never received that blessing that this would be our moment where we hear from you and you transform us. God, I also want to pray for those who are here that maybe don't know you. They're far from you, but they want to come to know you. I pray that they would be ready and that this would be their moment to give their lives to you and watch what their life can be in your hands. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, if you're listening to this and saying, yeah, that's, Pastor, that's me. I need forgiveness. I, I, I don't want my past to be my future. And I have so many things that I regret and I want to leave them in the past and never repeat them. 
is that even possible for God to want me? And the answer is yes. Jesus loves you. He died for you. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is that he came into the world to be the savior that we need. And so if you're in a place where you say, that's what I want. I want Jesus to forgive me and transform my life. And I'm going to, I want him to be my savior. And I'm going to just lay my life down and let him be Lord in my life. If that's you, I want to pray for you as we close. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, that's me, I want you to lift your hand so I can pray for you even right now. Right now, lift your hand. I see some hands. God bless you. God bless you guys. Lord, I want to thank you for every hand that's lifted that represents a heart that is open and ready for you to do the work that only you can do. I pray, God, that as they call out to you, that you would transform them by your power and that this day would be the beginning of a brand new life for them that leads into eternity. Those of you that lifted your hands, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me, repeating it out loud. We're all going to pray it together. Just say, dear God, thank you for loving me and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. But I thank you for Jesus who loved me and died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.